Lucy Parsons. Welcome to today's show. Today I've got a really special guest, Jen Gale, who is a sustainability expert and she works with people to help them live more sustainable lives. But she calls the work that she does sustainable-ish because she knows how difficult it is in the society that we live in to live a perfectly sustainable life but recognises the small changes that we can make which cumulatively when we all make them in society will add up to making a big difference to our climate and our planet. So sustainability is something that is very close to my heart. You may know that I studied to be a geography degree and I was a geography teacher and I was studying all this stuff before it was really trendy and fashionable. I can remember learning about coral bleaching in my degree and how climate change and the warming of the oceans was actually causing the destruction of coral and we did lots of other stuff about um, how the climate had changed over the years and what that meant for um, the world basically. So um, with COP26 which is happening the week I'm publishing this I thought it was relevant to publish something about how to study more sustainably. So Jen has come on the podcast to share with us some really actionable tips, some of which you will be able to take, some of which will be harder for you to take, but it just depends on the lifestyle that you lead. But I'd just love to encourage you to listen to this with an open mind and think about which of the things that Jen talks about today you could implement to make your studying or your child's studying more sustainable. Okay, let's go straight over to the interview with Jen. Welcome to the School Success Formula, Jen Gale. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, it's lovely to have you here. So just before we get started on some sustainable-ish studying tips, can you tell everybody who you are and, you know, why you're a good person to listen to? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure the answer to either of those. Um, So, yeah, I'm a mum to two boys who are very nearly 13 and 10. Um, and I run, uh, I say, I say I run sustainable. That makes it sound like it's this really big organization. It's just me. Um, but I'm a, I guess, sustainability coach and mentor and author and speaker. And I talk about this idea of sustainable ish. So the idea of, uh, the sort of imperfections and the compromises and the messy various shades of green that you know that we're that um that we can all be and the idea that we can all make a difference without having to kind of subscribe or aspire to some of those green stereotypes maybe that exist around you know um what does Boris talk about mung bean eating bunny hugging whatever you know but actually we can all make a difference without um sort of um needing or wanting to go to those extremes amazing okay so you're going to share with us some sustainable-ish studying tips today (laughs) and I think one of the best places to start is with stationery yes who doesn't love a bit of stationery sustainable stationery (laughs) 
Um, so I think the easiest uh, swap to make is to, and and certainly I talk about this in terms of for little ones and things, um, you know, colouring pencils instead of colouring pens, because obviously they're, they're wood, unless you get those weird, have your kids ever bought home those like plastic pencils? I'm like, who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> And then you're shape, you're you know you're sharpening them and shaving off little bits of plastic, um, uh, so yeah, pencils. But obviously, you know, if you're doing a piece of written work or whatever, a pencil isn't going to um, sort of be okay. But actually, we bought my eldest when he started secondary school a, a fountain pen, you know, a proper refillable um, with a with a pot of ink, you know, and it's got these sort of um, they're like reusable cartridges in it so you can sort of pull the ink up into it and use those so they're great because that's you know you're not throwing away a whole pen each time I've got um, one of those I absolutely love it I know <laughs> and actually my youngest because I had one as well and my youngest has started you know he wants one and we've said when you get to secondary school but when he uses mine his writing is so much neater because I think he has to take a bit more time sort of doing it um yeah. so yeah so that's that's quite a good one um, you can get highlighter pencils now instead of highlighter pens. Wow. So that can be quite a good, um, you know, God, I remember when I was revising, just going through, you know, highlighter after highlighter. Um, so that's a really good one, uh, trying to find some highlighter pencils. Um, and obviously, like when you're using um, paper, if you can print double sided, if your printer has that capacity, then do that. If it doesn't, then... Um, you know, I always save anything that we've printed single-sided and use the back of that for scrap paper um, and then obviously recycling yeah. afterwards. Yeah, I, I, when I was revising, I used to like test myself a lot. And so I just scroll like answers to testing myself. Yes. And the, like, and you could use the other side of already printed paper, yes. waste paper for that. And that would be really good use of it, I think. Yeah. Um, and you know making sure you recycle your paper but also if you're looking for you know printer paper and um or notebooks or anything like that looking to try and find the 100 percent recycled and look for what they call i think it's like post-consumer waste or something so that they, that's that's what we imagine recycled paper to be you know that it's like other paper that's been smooshed up and made into and made into paper um because obviously then you're not having to chop down trees and you know it's great if it's um there's a, a forestry standard commission, isn't there? FSC, that means they're, they're sort of managed forests and things, but it's so much better to try and use a, a recycled paper um, if you can. Um, oh, and then if you're printing, this is a stat I found in, in one of the books, changing the font you use can massively reduce the amount of ink that you use. So wow. changing from, I'm trying to remember this correctly, changing from Arial to Century Gothic uses a third less ink. Wow. Who knew that? <laughs> that is it's amazing isn't it the things that you just don't think about that mm. difference like yeah 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 very yeah. marginal differences but they are differences aren't yeah they? yeah um and I think the other big thing to say about stationery is like we probably all remember that lure and the excitement and the of a you know it sort of signals the start of a new academic year going and buying your new stationery but there's probably not a lot wrong with the old stationery um so trying to you know make do with with what you've got and um you know actually if it's if it's still doing the job then it, it's not it's not as exciting but if you can um, make do with the same stuff you've had the year before then that's all the better yeah brilliant and the other thing that um if you have got pens my local primary school is a pen recycling point mm. for cycle so um you can go on the TerraCycle website can't you and yep, find right, out yep. 
where your local pen recycling point is and if you haven't got one you can actually sign up to be that's right yeah um and i think most ryman stores are part of that so if you've got a ryman's near you you can go in and um and drop your pens off there and yeah i signed our um primary school up for it but it's quite a a volume that you need i mean it seems a no-brainer for primary schools because they must be getting through so many pens and because i think you can put in board you know white whiteboard pens and all that sort of thing as well um but it is quite a volume that you need to send off so maybe if you're a smaller school you might want to pair up with you know um sort of team up with a few other schools so that you can sort of meet the weights and that kind of thing but um but yeah you know and, and then if you um have a little pen recycling box in every classroom or if you have a little box at home where you remember just to put all the used pens and then you can next time you're going into town or whatever you can drop them off yeah brilliant okay so that's sustainable-ish stationery so basically find um recycle paper if you can yeah. use pencils rather than pens where you can and recycle what you can't and don't yeah. buy don't buy new until you've run out of the old <laughs> yeah 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 okay brilliant so what about school uniform which i know is mm. the bane of many parents lives is there anything that people can do there I mean, it's, yeah, as you said, it's the bane of, and I think especially when you get to secondary school, it feels that bit more difficult. I, I know at um, the primary school my kids were at, there was a really great um, secondhand uniform service that the PTA ran, um, but that doesn't seem to exist as commonly, I don't think, in, in secondary schools, in my experience. Um, but, you know, but there will often be, um, you know, WhatsApp groups or, or you know, a, a school um community Facebook group or whatever and, and I think uniform will often sort of circulate on there and obviously asking friends or family if they've got older kids if they're happy to pass you on um, some things because buying secondhand is, is going to a it's going to be cheaper massively cheaper um, and b you know it's saving all those um, resources and especially when kids are growing so quickly you know you don't want to spend however much on a blazer when they're gonna um, you know they might have grown out of it in six months so definitely looking for it secondhand um, it's it's really hard to find because often and I think again especially with secondary schools they're a bit more prescriptive about the um the stuff that you need to have and there seems to be more branded stuff especially for PE yeah. kit and things like that so often kind of your hands are a bit tied but if you're looking for the basics like trousers and skirts and socks and things like that then um looking for places like MS will do the sort of um, what they call better cotton initiative um, if you can afford it, you know, the sort of um, organic cotton is always going to be a better option. Um, and again, I think be realistic about what, how many items of which you're going to need, you know, like how often can you put a wash on, how quickly can you get it dry? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of just sort of sponging the, the mud off the knees of the school trousers and, you know, they can wear them again the next day. Um, and just trying to be, um, Get away with the bare minimum i guess that you can that that fits in with your lifestyle and that kind of thing yeah definitely and with school shoes there's um shoe recycling schemes aren't there but yeah so there's a great one called sal's shoes um sal apostrophe s shoes and i think what they do is they collect them and they take them out to um to developing nations where you know kids often um won't won't have shoes or maybe they need shoes to go to school and if they don't have them they can't go and all that kind of thing so um and uh so you'd need to go on the website to check the sort of exactly what they'll take and what they won't take but i think they will take um you know things like football boots and trainers and things like that as well so that's always um a really good option i think some clark's stores i think they have bins in them don't they to um for, for recycling shoes 
Um, but, you know, if they've got some life left in them, then, you know, see if you can pass them on to friends or family. And if they're still in really good nick, whack them on eBay or something like that, because, you know, people are always looking to save some money on the school shoes are so expensive, aren't they? They are really expensive. Yeah, my my daughter's feet are now the same size as my feet. <laughs> so then you have to very... Um, because my sons were I think I think they are still the same size as me so I'm like buying him wellies that I know that I will then want to wear after he's had them do you know what I mean you can kind of be very tactical about your buying (laughs) yeah good idea brilliant okay what about what students can do to make kind of sustainable change happen yeah so I think it's really easy whether we're students whether we're parents whether we're you know none neither of the above to feel really um, powerless when you come to something as big as the as the climate crisis, but actually, you know, we we all have much more power than we think we do. So we've got a huge amount of power as consumers, and I know that, um, you know, mine are just like I said, my eldest is just about to hit those sort of teenage years, and and um, you know, as a parent, it, it, I imagine it's going to become quite difficult. You know, am I allowed to sort of my my consumer values and ethics and stuff how much of that can I impose on him but always remembering that um you know however old we are that that we have a choice over what we buy that I think there probably is a huge amount of peer pressure at school around um the clothes you buy and and the phones you get and all those kinds of things but um you know remembering about upgrades like we don't we don't have to upgrade just because Apple tells us we have to upgrade all that kind of thing um but also remembering that you know we've we've got a voice and and especially as a um within a, a something like a, you know a school is a ready-made community we've got a voice within that community um, we can uh, be an influencer within um, that community but also within our community of friends and that that can feel a little bit uncomfortable well probably a lot uncomfortable when you're going through the whole teenage years to be the one going actually I don't really want to come to Primark with you this afternoon I'd rather go and have a meet you around the charity shops or you know that that can be really difficult but sometimes um being the one brave enough to kind of say that you might find everyone else going oh god you know what I've been really worrying about you know or I've I've sort of heard about fast fashion and I'd like to explore some other things um but you know in terms of um I talk about this idea of being like a change agent within any organization that you're involved with so schools are brilliant for that because as a student or as a parent um you know you can be asking those questions like oh gosh, why, why, don't, why haven't we got any paper recycling bins in the classroom? That feels like a really nice, easy thing that we could do. Or, um, you know, does anybody know what happens to our food waste from the canteen? Or, you know, is there any chance we could have meat-free Monday? You know, and I think especially coming from students as well, that's, um, you know, schools are there to provide you with an education, but also to um, ideally for you to come out as kind of, you know, uh, well-rounded um, yeah. you know citizens who who are able to express themselves and all that kind of thing and um, so you know I think there's there's a great capacity there to be able to influence your peers but also to influence um, the, the wider school community and to maybe especially when schools have been through so much um, upheaval over the last 18 months with COVID and things that a lot of this stuff has slipped off the agenda and actually for students now to be saying oh hold on guys I remember we were doing quite well a couple of years ago how you know can we restart that eco club or can we restart that green club or um that kind of thing or maybe if there's a few of you and you haven't got an eco club you want to start 
Um, and there's loads and loads of resources and I can send you a load of links, Lucy, if you want to put them in the show notes. There's the Eco Schools Framework. There's a um, great organisation called Transform Our World, you know, and um, actually there's a great um, student, young man, um, who I, I messaged on Twitter last night called Joe Brindle, and he lives not far from me. Um, but he started a campaign called Teach the Future around the idea that you know we have an obligation to be teaching our students and our young people about the world that they're going to enter and embedding all this into the curriculum and things and he's did this when he was like 17 or something do you know and he's he's kind of he's now gone on to uni and he's he's but there's this whole organization and this sort of almost legacy that he's created and yeah, I just think, you know, we, we have so much more power than we think we do. And it's very easy to feel powerless. But sometimes just just start by asking some questions can be a really nice, gentle yeah. place to start. Yeah, definitely. And I know some of the students that I've had the pleasure to work with one to one over the years have been very much involved in this kind of mm. It's just wonderful to see because, you know, I studied geography at university, you know, over 20 years ago now, and we were all talking about this then. And mm. it's just so wonderful to see young people actually taking on the responsibility in a way, you know, previous generations haven't. To yeah, and but on the same token, you know, it shouldn't all be on their their heads and no. you know our generation absolutely need to be stepping up to help them so yeah. I think you know if there are parents listening if there are any staff listening we can make it so much easier for our young people to to take these steps by um almost sort of you know giving them permission to ask these questions saying oh guys you know where where do you think we could make a difference with our sustainability and that kind of thing and um, you know, in an ideal world, a school would have this sort of sustainability ethos embedded throughout the whole school. It would be the catering, it would be the management of the grounds, it would be the um, in the curriculum as well, because it, you know, it's geography, it's science, but it's it's so much more as well. And um, I really feel um, like we have an obligation to um, to be incorporating this. And, and I think schools are such a brilliant place to start because not only are you um, is it is it sort of influencing the students, but also their parents, the wider community and schools as a, you know, bottom line, they're a business and they've got a lot of suppliers and things that they can be influencing and things so that I just think they're in such a, a key role, really. And sometimes you just need a handful of students or an engaged member of staff or, you know, a couple of parents nagging um, in order to make change happen. Yeah, it's just so important, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so um, what about travel to school? Mm. I've been talking about this on social media quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, you know, um, travel's a big part of our, you know, our individual carbon footprint and our carbon footprint as a kind of nation. And we are a very car dependent nation, aren't we? Um, a lot of it will depend on where you live and where your school is situated, what the public transport is like. You know, if you're in a big city, it's probably a bit of a no brainer to get public, especially if you're in somewhere like London, you know, where the public transport is, is relatively cheap and very accessible. Um, you know, we live a, a bit more um, rurally. So it's the but there are a lot of school. But, you know, I think if you have a school bus service, take advantage of it. Um, if you if you do live close, I mean, there's a stat that says something like 38 percent of um, journeys um, are car journeys are under two miles or something 
Mm. Yeah, I think you could probably all walk or or cycle two miles. Um, mm. And I don't know if things have changed. Certainly when I was at secondary school, everybody walked or biked. You know, there might have been a few buses coming in from sort of outlying villages. Um, but I don't really remember a lot of people being driven to school. But I imagine that might have changed a little bit now. I think um, it has changed from talking to the people in my communities. I think there are people who do drive to school and, and sometimes it's unavoidable. Um, but, you know, if you can think of other ways, I think, you know, it's really helpful, isn't it? I know my mum used to say that I was in a terrible mood until I'd had my walk to school in the yeah. morning. And I was always in a better mood by the time I'd walked to school. She'd be happy to let me loose on other people. <laughs> <laughs> and I think walking home as well gives you that almost little downtime, that separation, doesn't it, between your school day and, you know, my my um, mind just come home and they're straight onto a screen for, you know, however long they're allowed. But it gives you that time. And some, especially like my youngest is still at primary school so he doesn't mind me walking with him so we actually get to have a bit of a chat about his his day um you know whereas it's like two minutes in the car and then he's straight out and onto the screen and I get nothing out of him but um remember with all of these things as well that it doesn't have to be all or nothing it's not like you can never drive to school again maybe you drive to school when it's raining or maybe you drive to school when they've got their you know their massive load of sports kit or um, you know if they're finishing late you'll come and pick them up or that kind of thing or you try you have an aim that you're going to do three days a week where you don't use the car that kind of thing um, so that you just can sort of gradually change these habits and things because I think you know um, if kids are used to being driven everywhere it does suddenly feel like a big ask to go or you know they are suddenly like what I, I couldn't possibly you know do that mm -hmm. but actually once you start doing it they realize actually it's it's not as bad and it's more of a kind of token ring your oh god do we have to do that but they just get on and do it yeah I think the other thing that you know if they're used to being driven everywhere it's setting up a set of expectations for life isn't mm. it? you know about this is how life works and so you know if we challenge those expectations that you know life is possible without a car yes you know you don't need to use the car every time you go anywhere I mean, yeah depends on where you live but I think challenging those preconceptions is you know healthy isn't it and some of it will be like sort of modeling those behaviors yourself as well so mm -hmm. you know I I I really frustrates me that my kids don't want to um sort of cycle to school um so you know I make quite a point now if I've got a short journey of cycling it you know or, or walking it and being able to say to them oh you know I walked into town today or I you know um so that again I think they realize that, that because it it's very it's convenient it's easy especially if, when you've got younger kids as well to just jump in the car isn't it but um actually we probably could all walk more cycle more um and it's but it's trying to find ways that fit that into our already kind of packed schedules and busy lives but um sometimes just challenging yourself to, you know could we do a couple of days a week car free um and and just have a go you know yeah yeah, have a go, see what works. Okay, the last thing I'd like to ask you about is waste. Um, mm. Because in my experience, education does generate quite a lot of waste. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got any ideas about what people can do about that? I mean, there's the really obvious kind of, you know, recycling, um, but trying to make it um, 
achievable, accessible. So, you know, having a paper recycling bin in every class next to every printer, next to every photocopier, that's much easier than, you know, having to go and hunt down the, the two recycling paper recycling bins that exist in the school somewhere, having a pen recycling box in every class, having, um, you know, really nice, clearly labeled um, recycling um, bins, maybe they're different colors and actually having the, you know, what can go in each bin at eye line rather than on the front of the bin. So you've got to bend down and try and work out what you can put in there. That kind of thing can be, um, can be really relatively easy and cheaply implemented. Um, you know, double checking what your, um, I don't know how it works with schools because they have a, a council recycling collection most of the time, do they, or waste I collection? So, mostly, I don't know exactly. Yeah, um, but you know, double checking that you're, you're doing everything that you can. Maybe you do have some, like I said, the pen things and the crisp packets, you know, God, I can't imagine the number of crisp packets that schools must get through. Um, you know, you could have a crisp packet bin and all of these, um, certainly the TerraCycle schemes can be hooked up. So if you've, if you've got a, um, a PTA, then that's a registered charity, they can be, um, the TerraCycle schemes will generate money for a nominated charity and that can be your nominated charity. So it can actually be a, um, you know, a, a fundraiser as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, things like food waste from the cafeteria and things like that. Um, I mean, that probably involves a, a bigger discussion with the kind of catering team. And um, but yeah, again, just asking the question, what, what does happen to our food waste? And, um, you know, is it some councils will have a food waste collection? And, and I'm assuming that maybe schools can piggyback onto that. Um, but I, you know, I know some schools where they've had set up their own sort of mini biodigesters and things like that. Um, so there are lots of schemes that you can do, um, but also, you know, just the, the um, I think certainly for primary schools as well, stuff around portion control, like the portions that they end up giving, like the really tiny ones are huge. And, um, you know, and if, if you're at secondary school, you're able to sort of help yourself thinking, am I actually going to be able to eat all of this? And, you know, I can always go back for more, hopefully, if I, if I want more, but, um, you know, trying to physically scrape less food into the bin. Um, yeah be really important as well I think. One of the most successful things we've done is eliminate cling film from our oh. line and just literally using like Tupperware pots or even leftover like ice cream. Yeah pots. the margarine tubs and yeah yeah yeah. All that yeah. kind of thing and you know when the kids were having school dinners that we we just didn't use cling film or any kind of wrapping from home they just had the pots and um, some of them you know like the little salad pots that came from the village pub takeaway yes yeah 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 yeah. disintegrated after a while but we probably used them 20 or 25 times yeah. before they disintegrated and so that's plastic has you know had given more value to humanity before it's no longer useful yes definitely it's not it's not trying to have a um you know air quotes plastic free lunchbox it's thinking you know trying to have a single-use plastic-free lunchbox um so and and again that doesn't have to be an overnight switch you know you can do that kind of slowly and I you know I get that there's probably when my kids were in primary school and having pet lunches you know we'd like get a big grab you know share bag of crisps and portion some out now I can imagine if you start doing that at secondary school there's going to be a little bit of mickey taking or whatever maybe so you kind of got to work with with your kids and what feels doable um for them kind of um peer wise as well um mm. but yeah it's, I mean it's completely possible to um 
you know, to do it with um, different Tupperware pots and bits and pieces. It, I guess it's um, as kids get a little bit older, whether that's kind of deemed acceptable by them. <laughs> yeah, I remember having a conversation with my daughter, but she's just started secondary school. And I was like, do I really need to buy a new bag? And I was like, mm. I shouldn't have to buy a new bag. And I said to her, do you mind if we don't buy you a new bag? You can just use one of the ones that you've got. And she was like, no, that's absolutely fine. And Aww. I said, if, because I remember when I went to secondary school being teased mercilessly about having the wrong kind of bag. Right, yes. And yeah. I just said to her, you know, if anybody teases you, just say to her, well, it's more envi- environmentally sustainable to keep using this one until yes. it starts. And I think just equipping them with that language to right. yeah, yeah, yeah. their choices can be a really powerful thing to do Mm, yeah and it's weird how how kind of peer pressure works isn't it because it can be a really positive thing um Mm. and you can you know she could be the one who actually makes some of the other kids think about that um or it can obviously you know work the other way and be a be a really negative thing but I you know that's where if a school really kind of takes this on board and it becomes the whole ethos of the school it becomes normal for the children to be doing these things and to be thinking about these things and to be making these choices and so that's where I took you know this idea that that we're almost giving them permission to be seen to be making these different choices that maybe they want to but they're worried about being picked on and that kind of thing um so yeah it's 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 like you say kind of equipping them with that the confidence the words to use the the being able to articulate what they why they've done what they've done yeah, definitely. Oh, well, this has been great, Jen. I think this has given lo- people loads to work with. But I just really love your ethos that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to make, you know, sm- the small changes that you can manage within mm. the context of your life. I mean, where did that kind of philosophy come from for you? I think, um, I mean, we we started our sort of, um, air quotes, journey Um doing a year buying nothing new which is quite you know quite extreme isn't it um but just this I guess growing realization that a lot of people are put off even starting because they think well if I say I'm going to be a bit more sustainable a bit more green someone's gonna shout at me because I'm not vegan or I'm not I've still got a car or you know we're doing this and we're doing that and 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 actually you know the the sort of peak green that we're told we must aspire to isn't what a lot of people aspire to and this whole idea there's this lovely quote by um someone who's on on social media as the zero waste chef she talks about you know zero waste and this she says you know we don't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly we need millions of people doing it imperfectly and just and I think sometimes it's the getting started that's the hardest part the the um the fear of change almost is worse than the change itself so if we can make the the barrier to entry as low as possible um, then hopefully we can get more people started. And I think once we get started, you develop a, it develops a bit of momentum of its own. And then you're much more likely to take the next step and the next step. It's a bit like me saying to you, you're going to run a marathon tomorrow. And I'm going to go, no, I'm not. You know, but if they said to me, you're going to run a marathon in six months or nine months time, and I'm going to help you train. And this is the first thing we've got to do is go and find your trainers. Oh yeah, no, I can do that. You know, it's a bit like that, isn't it? And so yeah. I just feel like we need to... Um, to, to make it as accessible as possible for people, make it as easy as possible for people and make it as um, judgment-free almost as possible for people. Yeah, definitely. So you have, um, 
a range of stuff to support people <laughs> getting started with this. I mean, I love your free Facebook group, which is a really supportive space. Tell us about like what, what else you do that can start get people started on this journey. Um, so yeah, there's the free Facebook group. That's um, if you just search sustainable-ish on um, Facebook, you should find that and like across all the social media platforms and things. Um, I've got a podcast as well, sustainable-ish podcast. So if people want to, to come and listen to that and, you know, we have guests, but also there's little solo ones with me and, and all around this idea of imperfect, imperfect action and, you know, judgment-free and that kind of thing. Um, I've got written two books. So the Sustainable-ish Living Guide came out in January last year and the Sustainable-ish Guide to Green Parenting, which has got a bit more kind of school stuff. We, well, it starts from pre-baby and goes right through to teenagers and um, secondary school and things. That came out um, March this year. And, oh, the Knackered Ones Eco Club, which I is... I just love the name. <laughs> <laughs> which is my um, sort of membership community. And it, but around this idea that you know, I wasn't really seeing a space for, I don't know, people like me and you who sort of maybe want to do our bit, but don't really. Um, Can't run our lives. Yeah. 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 You know, are juggling all the balls and spinning all the plates and, and, but still kind of wanting to be doing our bit. And it's just a lovely, safe place for people to come and, you know, cock it up and whinge about the kids and, um, but still get that sense of collective impact as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jen. No I just worries, think it stimulates people to just make one small change yes, so definitely. that we can start that snowball effect um, and save the world together. Yes. <laughs> to put it grandly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it all starts with the, you know, that what's that journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, doesn't it? Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Jen. And um, yeah. I hope it's helped everybody who's listening. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope you found the interview with Jen really useful. I'd love to hear what sustainable studying change you're going to make as a result of listening to this. So do come on over to the podcast show notes, which you'll find at sustainable studying. Well, it's lifemoreextraordinary.com forward slash sustainable studying and if you scroll to the bottom of that post you'll find a place where you can leave a comment and just let us know um which of the things that Jen has suggested you're going to try to implement in your studying or your school life indeed so I hope you really found that helpful and it's given you some inspiration about one small change that you can make thank you so much for listening have a wonderful day and goodbye.